Okay. 0491064669. Write it down on a piece of paper. Take it and save it in your phone, and you paper. are good to go. Is anyone calling us on a landline? That's, I don't know. That's interesting. There are, there are, you do find the odd landline from time I, to time. I haven't been in a house with a landline since I was about nine years old. I think we were the, my parents were among the early adopters of forsaking the landline. Well, we forsook the landline when we moved house mid to mid, mid. 2000s, uh, when did we move house? 2007, something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, same. And we just never hooked up a landline to the new house. It was like, why? I've got a mobile phone. I haven't used a landline for years. Why would I hook <laughs> one up? But you do find one from time to time. Mm. Um, they do still exist. Mm. And we need to talk about text messages, so let's do that. Which <laughs> you can't do it on a landline. You can't do this on a landline. That's right. Okay, Chernobyl uh, decontamination. It's good news. How long before people can move back in? I don't think that will really happen. Uh, the dangers are way too many. Would you take the chance? Okay, yeah. As we said, I wouldn't take the chance to move no. back in, but I want to go there, obviously. Yes. As I want to go to, I would definitely go. I want to go to Chernobyl. There's a few places I want to go. There's kind of in that category of like Chernobyl, North Korea. Yes. You know, just like hectic as places. Cuba. Cuba. I want to go to Cuba. I want to go to some of these fo- frozen in places, time, uh, fro- frozen, frozen in time, time places. places. Yeah. Because when I went to Iran, um, it got frozen in the 1970s when the um, the Ayatollah took over mm. and went into extreme Islam. Mm. And so you go there, and even the TV in the in the in the hotel is the same old TV with the thunk 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 thunk. Um. Choose your channel, kind of, one of five channels, kind of thing in the corner of the room. Wow! Not all of the hotels were like that, but a lot of them were, and a lot of the infrastructure is just frozen mm. at that particular time. And even a lot of the cars are like you know nineteen seventies, nineteen eighties model cars that are still being made, Russian designs and so forth. And it's just fascinating. Yeah. Now Cuba, of course, got frozen in the nineteen sixties, so that's very cool. Uh, Chernobyl got. Frozen in 1986. Yeah, and North Korea froze itself through yeah, North economic Korea. isolationism. Yes, <laughs> much like Iran. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, what, what else have you okay, saying? Okay, so um, they th- seem to have a thousand ways of taking away freedom of speech, but they Ooh. don't in a way that... But they don't in a way that really sounds good. Mm. Uh, but they do it in a way that really sounds good. I think that's supposed to supposed to read there. Mm. Uh, okay, so uh, camels? Yes. Just in case you're wondering, and just in case the uh, Kansas City Police Department is wondering whether they can uh, round camels up on, um, on, 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 on golf carts, uh-huh. uh, camels do about 65 kilometres an hour. That's insanely quick. That's just very quick. That's why, again, one of my favourite sports, camel racing. So they drive beside the track to control the robot that, to whip the camel. They drive beside the track in, like, land cruisers. To keep up with the camera. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the coolest thing. <laughs> it's so good. Okay, Justin Plummer, a true Christian. You also probably realised that God was watching. However, the church doesn't seem to be too Christian. God will judge by their hearts. Yeah, so that's weird, isn't it? Mm. You would think he would be paraded up the front and thanked and publicly and given a reward and all Dude, of the rest. And What a ministerial the- opportunity. Yeah. 
And, and, yeah. and the crazy thing about this is that this is a Christian guy who actually doesn't have a church community at the moment. Mm. What an opportunity to give him a church community. Yeah. Anyway. Such is life. I do get cynical about some of these mega churches, mm. <coughs> unfortunately. Victoria's denial of having a mother, unfortunately, society no longer to seem to see it, that a family was created to be made up of a father and a mother. Let us remember that it was governments that made this law. Who is really to blame? They longer, no longer know right from wrong. Well, I'll tell you who's to blame. We are to blame Oof. as parents because we raised a generation without morality and that generation elected a government without morality. Yep, it's my fault. The government you get is the <laughs> government you deserve. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And this goes back generations mm. to us. Yeah. That's wow. tough. Uh, the youngest cardinal's marriage to a Satanist. Not really surprising, according to the book of Revelation. That's it. Revelation 16, verse 12 and 13, right there. Mm. You know, it's just a, a, a microcosm of of Revelation 16, 12 and yeah. 13. So, that's, so he gave it because as a cardinal to marry someone. He Actually, it wasn't a cardinal. He was a bishop. He's a bishop. Yeah, yes. okay. He's the bishop of Spain. So he gives up his career. Yes. Because they he's need to be celibate. He's working now. So he works in agriculture, but he's given up his entire career that he studied for yes, and to marry. I can understand somebody giving up their their, their career to marry um, and to give away their vow of celibacy because the vow of celibacy is not in the Bible. That's right. And I think it's actually a very honourable thing if you are a part of a church that requires you to be celibate that if you meet somebody and you fall in love with somebody, that you choose to be married to yeah. that somebody because that's what the Bible supports. That's what the Bible tells you yeah. to do. If you fall in love with somebody, the appropriate thing to do is to marry them. Just not a Satanist. Yeah, that's the there surprising is this thing. thing about is being... this the ultimate flirt to convert? Is this guy really playing the long game? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Ah, man, that's wild. I don't know. That's insane. Uh, anyway, um, we pray for them. Yes. Uh, as a couple, a couple that they'll be happily married and that they will both um, be surrendered to Jesus. Mm. Okay. Creation Ministries has been has really been an absolute blessing for me. Over the 30-plus years I have been listening to them, it has truly helped me in my belief in the Bible, scientifically proving origins. Many scientists among them that used to be atheists who could no longer believe the lie of evolution because of the scientific facts that actually proved God is the creator of true science. How... I do find it amusing that the very ministry that is in the forefront of teaching Genesis and the six days of creation, that they are not Sabbath keepers. Yeah, well, you know, they have their place and they have their ministry and mm. maybe if they are Sabbath keepers, less people would listen to them. Mm. You know? Um, I, I just see them doing God's work. It's as simple as that. Mm. And I fully support what they do. And their influence is very, very powerful, which probably in today's world would not make a whole lot of difference, but, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago would have made a, their, their, their audience would have been much smaller. Mm. I see God using them where they are, even though we might not agree on the Sabbath. Uh, I believe soon many will see the truth also. God bless them. Praise God. Earthquakes and tornadoes in the news, more signs of the second coming. Yeah, wow. Uh, I guarantee that most of those people remembered God through it, let us remember him while we are going through the good times. Oh, dude, that's an insane story. Yes. Like, yeah, the tornado taking out the candle factory and those people getting trapped. That's crazy. Oh, we just had a text message here uh-huh. for question of the day. Oh, okay. For Lawson. 
Question of the day. For Lawson. For me. Yes. Not for me. Do we have to do it for question? No, we're going to do it right now. Oh, thank you. Special question, question of the day. for Lawson. Maybe this is a challenge of the day. Question for Lawson. How does he square his environmental concerns with motor racing? Could Formula cars run on batteries? Um. Okay. Okay. I can answer this question. I can answer this question easily. This is putting Lawson on the spot right here because Lawson's always, you know, going on and on and on about, you know, uh, these environmental concerns, which is very valid because we are stewards of our world. Amen. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you motor exactly ra- motor motor racing. I will tell you exactly how. <laughs> Challenge of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I've been challenged. All right. Okay. Okay. It, t- this is twofold. The first one. The first one is that specifically Formula One. A lot of forms of motor racing on on the world stage, but yes. specifically Formula One. You, the first thing you got to realize is it's a sport, and we can talk about you know the morality of sport yeah, and sport yeah. being good or sport being bad or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But for, first step, it's a sport. Second step, though, what this is really attacking is um, you know whether motor racing itself like is these are high performance vehicles. You know they're creating some CO two. Yeah, they are, but they're hybrid. But, oh, what? Yeah. What? Formula One cars are hybrids. Yes, they are. If you didn't know, if you didn't know they were hybrids, they are hybrids in a move to both make the racing better and to be more sustainable. They've already created. And to be faster. And they've created a Formula E class, which is electric cars, which is their testing class, which eventually will supersede Formula One and Formula One will be fully electric. And also. Yes. You're listening to Faith FM. Positively different radio. Yeah, we haven't finished this thought yet. No, no, but secondarily. I've got, got some things to say about secondarily, this Secondarily. Yes. And the most important point. Yes. Lewis Hamilton, yes. who unfortunately lost the World Championship last night. Yes. I kind of didn't want him to win, but <laughs> I, I, Lewis Hamilton is a vegan. You should have been going for the vegan. Yeah, I should have been, but I'm not. But anyways, Lewis Hamilton is a vegan. Therefore, he has the carbon offset required to drive a Formula One car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. therefore, therefore, <laughs> this sport is promoting veganism. Well, the, the the participants in the sport is promoting veganism, which gives them the carbon offset to participate in motorsport. So basically, if you want to be participating in an active follower of motorsport, become a vegan, which I have done. I followed in the footsteps of... Yes, so, therefore, I am allowed to enjoy and participate <laughs> in motorsport because I'm a vegan. There you but, go. Okay, but all in all, all in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I, I was thinking about this last night. I was like, okay, this is the last night of the year. I'm going to stay up super late, you know, and I, I, I fell asleep. I went to sleep really early yes. and slept all the way up till the race started at midnight. And then as soon as the race finished, I went back to sleep because I was like, I have to be good and ready for radio. Because what I do here when I come to radio, I share the word of God. And I think for me, like motorsport has been such a big part of my life and I'm still a fan of it. But at the same time, like, yeah, the worshiping and the following of God is something that is so much far and away better than motorsport. Yes, we can get, whether it's musical instruments or motorsport or any kind of hobby or something that we get sucked into and we can, you know, joke and jest about um, the philosophical ethical arguments of whether it's okay to participate in motorsport. Um, Ultimately, and I can just see very clearly in my life, yeah, 
living a life with God is, is the most important thing. So, you know, I'm not here on radio. Yeah, I joke around and I talk about it, but at the same time, I'm not here to push my wheelbarrow of, I'm lost in the motorsport, man. No, I'm lost in the follower of Jesus guy. Like mm-hmm. that's, I'm, that's who I am. The Lawson who gave up fame in motorsports to be a follower of Jesus. That's right. And, and so like, yeah, I still consider it fun. I still love going and having my occasional dash in a go-kart and beating everyone because I'm so good. Uh, <laughs> no, no. But, but that being said, like, ser- like seriously, guys, like seriously, if you can take away anything from our conversations on this point, is that God is good, man. God, like, God is good and he is worth following over and above motorsport. And I hope that we can keep that as a focus in our show. Yeah, I, I agree with I, I, And I really appreciate the balance you've brought into that. And I will say this also on a more serious note is that, you know, these highly competitive um, sports do create an environment where knowledge increases. Mm. Um, and, that, and, and, and the increase of knowledge and science and technology and so forth is a gift that has been given to us by God. It is an expression mm. of, you know, the creativity that God, God is creative. God uses knowledge and science and he builds and creates stuff. Yes. We are made in his image. We do the same thing. And the increase of knowledge as a result of motorsports has created a lot of the, the technology that we have today. Totally. To save the planet. That's right. And it's like whether it's um, motorsport specifically relating to transport, whether it's um, sports science in the realm, like our understanding of the human body and how it it reacts to adverse conditions and all of those kinds of things are like uh, far and away advanced by our participation in sport. Anyway, let us know what you think. Do you agree or do you disagree? We would love to hear from you on this subject this morning. 0491-064-669. Um, of course, you know, the greatest thing is that um, while these things are, you know, they're, they're great, they're an expression of human beings expressing the fact that they mm-hmm. are built in the creation, they're made in the image of God, there is nothing that supersedes a relationship Amen. with God. Amen. Such a good point. Matthew chapter 4 is where we're going to begin today. <laughs> so Matthew we'll chapter Bible 4. Study yeah, absolutely. We, oh, we have, that's awesome. We have, uh, it was actually a really good question. I'm glad that that question was asked. <laughs> It's created some good discussion. We'd love to hear from okay, you and so get your thoughts on this. Matthew chapter 4. Yes. And verse. Uh, we're going to start with verse 1. All right. Cool. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there uh, by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry and weary. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, so how does Jesus respond to Satan's temptation in the wilderness? And second question, what is the important lesson for us in his response? Mm, So I guess, yeah, the first answer is, what does he do in his response? He quotes scripture. Right. He, He relies on the previous testimony of the Bible Yes. to give him knowledge and understanding and information on how to react to this encounter that he has with satan you know satan comes he tempts him in a point where it says he's like super weary and and is in a place that is more susceptible to be deceived Mm -hmm. and in response he quotes scripture he quotes the plain truth of god and so then for us you know as the bible says uh, as paul says imitate me as i imitate christ we have a very much a need to do the same 
And the only way you're ever going to be able to do that is if you have that scripture buried in your mind. Mm. And this brings up, it really highlights the importance of scripture memorization. Mm. Jesus didn't pull out a Bible. That's right. And go, wait a minute, Satan, I've just got to look something up here real quick, so I've got to read it to you. He wasn't carrying like the 40 scrolls of the Old Testament in, no. in, his, in his backpack. No. Throughout. He wasn't looking for that verse that was on the top left-hand corner of the page that was somewhere in the book of Matthew. <laughs> That's so classic. That's like us on radio. Yes. It's <laughs> like every Bible study ever. It's like, oh, I'm sure it was there when I was preparing. I forgot to write it down. Jesus didn't do any of that. He was just like, bang, quote it straight off the top of his head. Wow. Mm. And if Jesus is to be our example, then that's how we need to know the Bible as well. Mm. It is a valuable thing to spend time memorizing passages of the Bible. What's the longest passage you've ever memorized? Um, either Revelation 12 or mm-hmm. the Ten Commandments. Kind of yeah. Oh, so I re- at one point is decent. at one point I revelation I memorized Revelation twelve and thirteen and thirteen and thirteen. That's very decent. and then half of like fourteen. So up until the end of the three angels message. Yeah, yeah. That's I that's could I actually, could don't ask you to recite it. Yeah, no, do no, not no. ask you to recite it. <laughs> that's significantly longer than a passage that I've ever memorized. The longest one I memorized was Daniel seven, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't ask me to recite it, but I could. <laughs> You know, with a bit of prompting, I could give the whole thing. You know, I, I think if I gave you a bit of prompting here and there, yeah, and you yeah. to get stuck, you'd, you'd, you'd bring it back. That's right. Um, but interesting, we um, we both memorized some pretty heavy prophetic stuff right there. That's right. What was the first passage? Do you remember the first one you memorized? Oh, the first passage I ever, ever memorized would have to probably be Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Oh, Okay. Yeah, like um, going to, to all the world according to... Yeah, begin at, yeah. at Jerusalem and Judea yeah, and then Samaria, Samaria and the outermost part of yeah. the world. Yeah, I remember I memorized that because um, I was actually, I was going to get baptized. Yes. And they asked me to memorize any scripture I wanted. And I was like, okay. And the reason I was, I, I was getting baptized, like I was getting baptized to follow God. Yes. But the kind of circumstance that led my baptism is I felt really convicted. Like I need to work for God. Like I yes. need to be used by him to share his message to the world because it had touched and changed my life so much. And they're like, well, Lawson, like you need to get baptized to be able to, to do that. Like you, you need to be a part of God's church. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. I'll get baptized right now. Uh, and then they asked me, they were like, oh, well, yeah. So we set up our baptism. They're like, oh, memorize a verse. And I opened my Bible and I'm like, okay, I, I don't really know the Bible. I've read like, the first, I've done my devotions. I've read the book of Matthew. That's it. But I don't know the rest of the Bible. And yeah, opened my Bible up and landed on the book of Acts, the first chapter, looked on the page, found chapter, verse eight. It was like my life that I was about to yes. endure on, you know, taking the message yes. to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and, you know, to the outermost parts of the earth. I was like, whoa, this is, I'm, I'm going to go do this. And so I memorized it and then I stood up and I said it at my baptism. That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> This is Lawson back in the day when he hardly, hardly knew his Bible from one end to the other, <laughs> and he jumps on one of the most epic verses in the entire Bible yep. and uh, and memorizes that. Well, joining us on the phone right now is one of our listeners, uh, Bruce. Bruce, welcome to the show. Yep. Bruce, what would you like to yeah, share this morning? Yeah, talking about that first temptation of Jesus, and when, he, and when the devil said to him, if thou be the Son of God, you know, change these rocks to the bread, yes. you know, and Jesus said, 
man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, right? Now, the bread represents the Bible. So That's what right. Jesus actually saying, not by the Bible alone, but by every word, and just before he went out to this temptation, he was anointed at his baptism by the Holy Spirit, and God actually said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So he actually had that voice from God. So when the devil's saying to him, if they'll be the son of God, he actually had the voice saying he was. Yes. And so is Jesus really saying to us as well that not only the Bible, but we need to hear that still small voice of the spirit of God, you know, both together to not just the Bible alone, because there's, you know, the Pharisees had the Bible, but they mm. didn't have the spirit, you know, and so is Jesus saying that as well? And also, I was really thinking too, you know, when Jesus was born, he was born of the Spirit and of Mary, right? Yes. So he had, to me, that's like the former reign, you know, he's brought in with the Spirit, like we're born again. That's our former reign. But we need this latter reign experience as well. And Jesus, when he was anointed, I believe that was his latter reign experience. And then he went out and did his ministry. And is that what God's waiting for us to be get this latter rain experience so we can finish the work. Anyway, Bruce, yeah, fantastic thought. Thank you so much for sharing with us right there. I really like what Bruce had to say, Lawson, particularly in that first section where he talked about, you know, Jesus just didn't have the written word. He had the spoken word from the Father as well. Mm. And do we have that? Do we have that same experience yeah. ourselves? Do we hear the still small voice of God? Do we hear what God says to us through our conscience? Or do we just have the Bible? Because mm. you know, if you have the Bible without a conscience, all you have is is a book of interesting thoughts. Yeah, because the reality is is that like for every person, and I've actually been having an amazing experience with this recently, just realizing like I'm not absent from God's mind. Yes. God has a specific will and a plan for me, and he wants to work in my life and lead me into situations where he can use me. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Here on The Breakfast Show, um, we're about to get back into our Bible study. Man, I just want to say, I, I just love hearing, hearing from our listeners. Mm. It was so good to have Bruce call through. If you'd like to call through, 0491 you mm. want to have your say here on The Breakfast Show. And such a great thought. I've never, ever seen that before. It's been kind of sitting here listening to that song and having uh, Bruce's thought about every word of God. Not just the written word, but every word of God. Mm. This is just kind of quietly blowing my mind right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Go, Bruce. It's it's uh, well. I'm not going to say it's forever because I often say things that blow Lyle's mind. Um, as yeah, the very absolutely, and that's what Christianity <laughs> is all about. It's all about getting together. And getting together with other Christians and sharing ideas and thoughts and learning new things. Awesome. All right, let's have. It's just, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, he wants to do the question. Yeah, he that's right. I do. But I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to say this. You know, I've been, a, I've been, I was born into a Christian home. Yeah, that's right. I grew up with re, my parents reading me the Bible every morning, every evening. I went to Bible college. I've been teaching the Bible to other people since I was 17 years old. I'm 49 right now, so that's a fair chunk. Mm. And I love the fact that I can sit here and I can learn things, new things about the Bible every single day that I haven't seen before. Mm. And I love the fact that I can have the absolute confidence that I'm never going to run out of things to learn. Mm. 
And then simultaneously, like, there is so much that we can grasp. Yes. And, and we can be given enough information and enough light to know God, to know Absolutely. him, his plan for our lives, um, you know, the plan that he has for this world. We're not looking at this, like, intentionally obscured, unenterable uh, Pandora's box, but we're looking at a, a book that's written with words that we can read and understand. Yeah, it's fantastic powerful. Stuff. All right. Uh, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. And while Lawson's turning there, just let me remind you of what we just read here in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, where the Bible says that Jesus answered and said, It is written, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Mm. Deuteronomy 4, 8, sorry, verse 3. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. Okay, so when Jesus says, it is written, Mm. where does Jesus quote from? Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. And how does he know Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3? How much of the Bible, I wonder, had he memorized? Well, this is the thing, is that by this point in time, like rabbinical school required you... To memorize, especially by his age, the Torah, the in, no, the entire Old Testament depends what rabbinical school you went through, but oh. all of them required the Torah, at least the Torah, at least the Torah. Mm. Yep. So he knew what was up. Dude. Rafi texting through right now. We will be learning daily. Whoops, where did it go? We will be. Where did it go? <laughs> Hate it when my text message. We will be learning daily about God and nature for eternity. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so we look at this uh, this here, and you know, one of the things I find interesting about Islam, and maybe one of our Islamic friends uh, who listens to the show, and we have quite a number, um, can give us a call or shoot us a text message on this. My understanding is that to become a sheikh, you memorize the the Quran. Yep, I, I know the local sheikh um, Muhammad here in Newcastle. Mm. Um, we've met together on a number of occasions. And, you know, you sit down and have a, a, a theological discussion together and often he will stop and say, well, and he'll quote your book, chapter and verse and then quote it in Arabic and then translate it in English just straight off the top of his head. And he, he, can, go, he can go like that all night. Dude, I when, so when I was like 14, my next-door neighbours, before I was a Christian, my next-door neighbours were, they owned the house next to us. These were like super rich people from mm-hmm. Sydney. And they owned the house next to us up here in Newcastle as their holiday house. And they were Islamic and they decided to bring like a group of young guys up here. I think there was like 20 of them. And cause they had this like big property with a pool and all this different stuff. And they brought them all up here and it was kind of like their, their Islamic youth getaway. Yeah. You know, as like we would do as Christians, you know, yep, we'd yep. go up to someone's property. Yeah. So, and, um, I go over there and I'm like, oh, hey, because there's all these young guys there that are my age. And I'm like, oh, let's hang out and just like talking about life and, and different things. And they start talking about the Quran and how they've memorized it. I'm like, oh, really? And this guy's like, and one of the guys there who was at my age, he was 14 years old. He's like, yeah, so I've memorized the entire Quran in Arabic and in English and I can sing the whole thing. That's wild. Isn't like it? note perfect. And I was like. Like, at the time, I wasn't even a Christian, and I was like, that's pretty insane. <laughs> I was like, that's wild. But, yeah, there is, like, it, it is very common for Islamic people, just particularly people who are religiously devout in that way, to be, yeah, be being able to quote and all kinds of verses from all parts of the Quran, because from a very young age, they're, 
called to memorize it. Yeah, it is, and it's a challenge to us as Christians. You know, mm. if Islam is taking their faith so seriously, shouldn't we do the same? Yeah, I mean, I certainly know. I know that I certainly don't have anything like the whole Bible memorized. I I, I know my way around it pretty much. Yeah, uh, but I certainly don't have it memorized. I do know somebody who's got probably most of it memorized, or mm. has memorized all of it at some particular point. Um, whether they could reproduce it from memory mm. onto paper or not, I don't know. But you know, it's um. I think that I think that you know it's a really really important thing to do, which we need to balance out with, as Bruce pointed out, we need to balance it with listening to the voice of God, the Holy Spirit, in our conscience at the same time. That's right, because memorizing the Bible won't save you. No, that's right, it won't save you. Mm. But it's a really good thing to do. That's as right. See from the example mm. of Jesus. Hey, on the issue of motorsport. <laughs> okay. So somebody texts in. We wanted to hear your thoughts on this. Tim says he did motorsport in Europe from 2002 to 2008 um, as a mechanic, so uh, working in the pits and so forth, and oh, cool. driving the um, driving the trucks, you know, towing the towing yeah. vehicles and so forth. Yeah. Um, in the whole, the thing means nothing on the day of the Lord. What is important is today that I'm listening to the Lord and allowing Him to guide and direct me. I've been a Bible student since 1984. Wow! So go for it, Tim. Go, Tim. Yeah. That is such a good. That is such a good text message. It is. It is. And this is the thing, you know. If in a perfect world, and which one day we will have, we will get to explore all of this technology, all of this science, all of this engineering. We will. We will be constantly striving, striving to exceed and to excel in all kinds of things mm. um, in a perfect world, and we will do it in the context of rather than the aggrandizement of self, mm. but we will actually be doing it to bring glory and honor to God. That's right. And if only more of what we did today was like that, mm. we can still do all of these kind of things because God wants us to learn and to create and to excel but we need to do it to God's glory. Yes. That's where the balance comes in. and That's mm. what we need to have in our lives. And it's so sad that it's missing, uh, particularly missing from high-end sports. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Question of the day. All right, where are we up to? Um Question of the day. What's yes. our question of the day? Our question of the day is, why do so many Christians insist that we have an immortal soul, but then also believe in Genesis 2 and verse 7? Okay, so I don't think that... Uh, there, it is confusing um, what a lot of Christians believe in, and they have this conflict between the immortal soul and the resurrection. Uh, I don't think Genesis 2 verse 7 is the problem for them. So let me read Genesis 2 verse 7. The Bible says, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Uh, so the Bible gives you here the formula for a living human being, and that is the breath of life plus uh, plus the body. So God forms a body out of the dust of the ground. He then gives that body the breath of life or the gift of life, and that body then becomes a living soul. What the Bible doesn't address in this verse is whether that soul is immortal or not. Now, there are plenty of opportunities for the Bible to address that subject because if you combine the word soul and the word spirit, 
you will and, and look up, you know, in the Bible, those two words are used um, over seventeen hundred times in the Bible, and there's not a single reference to the soul or the spirit being immortal in any of those verses. In fact, you're going to find quite a number of verses that teach the exact opposite of that. And so your major problem is not going to come in here because the Bible is actually not saying whether the soul is is immortal or is not immortal. Your problem is going to come in in passages like uh, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, where the Bible is super clear. and says, Behold, behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins, it will die. You know, that's a very black and white definitive verse, and there are plenty more like that. You're also going to find, and this is where the interesting contrast comes in, you're also going to find, you know, in places like John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, where the Bible says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and mm. shall come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. And so the Bible speaks about those that are in the graves. And so the question is, is this, do you have an immortal soul or... Do you have a resurrection? Mm. Because you kind of can't have both. It makes no sense if you have both. And yet I've been to you know lots of uh, mainline Protestant funerals, I've been to Roman Catholic funerals, and I've been to evangelical funerals where they will speak about the immortality of the soul in one breath and the resurrection in the next. Mm. And it's like, okay, it's impossible to have a resurrection unless you've died. Yes. It's impossible to die if you're immortal. Mm. You see the problem? Yeah, loud and it's, clear. It's, it's, a, it's a major, major problem. And you look at you know people like Martin and Luther, for instance. Uh, we were, had a, uh, a historian on here last month talking about Martin Luther. He's done a lot, done a lot of study in, in Wittenberg in Luther and talking about how he really struggled with this concept of the immortality of the soul because the Bible just doesn't say that the soul is immortal but talks about the resurrection mm. and didn't never really came to a clear conclusion on it. Um, what you do find is this idea that, well, maybe the soul is immortal and separate from the body and it goes to heaven and then when Jesus comes back, then all the souls come back down to earth and go back into their bodies and the resurrection takes place that way. So you mm. never actually die but you live for a period of time without a body. Okay, there's no biblical justification for that Yep. anywhere in Scripture. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. And not only is there nowhere in the Bible, but there's also nowhere where it makes any sense. Mm. You know, if we're better off with a body, why not keep a body? If we're better off without a body, why not stay without a body? <laughs> yeah. There's got to be a reason for everything that God does. And, of course, we like to remind you to spend some time with Jesus today. Uh, he wants to be your very best friend. Mm. And as you spend time with Jesus, just talk faith, live faith, act faith. You will grow strong in Jesus Christ.
Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.